Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and guess who's here with me today? It's co-host Rodney Evans. It is. There she Hi. Is. <laughs> uh, on today's episode, we're going to talk about principles, those those special, special kinds of rules, those boundaries, those heuristics, those values. Uh, but before we unpack that word, let's check in. Let's talk about our check-in principles, which let's- are do it, do it often. Our principle is do it and also do it. Um, Okay, I wanted to ask you this question, but then we had to record, so I'm making it our check-in question, which facilitators is incidentally a totally legit check-in question move is just save the thing that you actually want to know for a check-in round. Um, So we're still in our houses and our closets, and I am wondering, because I know that you usually go to a climbing gym, what are you doing for fitness these days? Because I am getting real sick of the things that I do and I there's a danger of me just giving up entirely. Well, I I started by giving up entirely. <laughs> so, that's that was my base level and now I'm climbing out. Okay. I um it really really threw me for a loop to lose climbing cuz I was doing that 5 days a week and it was like the only form of exercise I'd ever done that I enjoyed. Um so I did a couple things. One, I ordered a hangboard which is basically like a multi-handled climbing tool that I hung over the door so I can do hangboard exercises, which is basically finger strength and super tedious. Um, and then I ordered a kettlebell because I used to do kettlebell workouts and really like them. Mm-hmm. feels like a very, I don't know, archaic form of exercise. I like Swing that aspect of it. It feels like real weight. prison yeah. yard stuff. Uh-huh. So I uh, so I got a nice kettlebell routine going and I'm trying to do that uh, every other day. I'm just being completely lapped by my wife, though, who is like exercising twice a day. Really? Like doing all kinds. Yeah. Like I'm, I am definitely the, the sadder of the two. Wow. Good for yeah. Brit. I'm like I know. trying to get to twice a week really consistently. I know. Um, yeah. So I started out really strong doing so much yoga all the time and that was great. And then the weather got nice and so I started running again. But like I normally go to a place where there are things and I go to a yoga studio. I go to something that's like CrossFit, but for ladies without all of the like macho nonsense. And then I go to a (laughs) yoga studio. And so I don't go to either of those places now. And so I've been like working and biking, but I just, um, I'm like struggling to Mm -hmm. find a thing that I'm even remotely excited about doing. Um, you did not help me at all because I'm not buying a kettlebell. Were you hoping for a genius answer? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we have the Peloton treadmill thing. We're doing mm. that. It is mm-hmm. it is cool, but like it's not. The thing about exercise is, at least for people like me, sounds like you, 
like by the time you get to our age and you find a way to exercise that you can actually tolerate, like you've already found the diamond in the yeah. rough. And and the idea that you're going to like find another way to exercise that works on short notice is right. not super great. Yeah, this was not a thing that I needed to like mix it up. It's like I found something that worked. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, well, you know, listeners, if you've found the um, magical pandemic solution to my workout apathy, um, please email me at podcast at the ready dot com, and I will. <laughs> you have take a lot your- of uh, seven minute abs emails coming your way. I know that's probably true. All right, so. We're not going to talk about working out for this whole episode, though we could uh, instead of doing it. Um, We are going to talk about principles. So I brought this up because I've noticed in a recent situation that they're missing and their absence is causing tension. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted us to just like explore the terrain of principles, what we use them for, what they are, what we mean. So let's start there. What do we mean when we talk about principles? So I think generally speaking, there's a there's a misunderstanding in the world of organizations where we often like to talk about values and rules. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a huge fan of either of those words at work. Um, I think we all have values as human beings, things that we value. I think an organization doesn't really have values because it's not a thing. It's not an entity the way a person is. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can debate the semantics of that. But I think generally speaking, it's more fun and more useful to talk about principles at work instead, like things we believe that guide behavior or guide decision making um, at a at a systemic level that that to your point before we got on the uh, on the recording are kind of design principles. They're, Mm -hmm. you know, things that focus on that is is much more interesting you know than rules or values right because mm-hmm. we we would rather have the freedom of judgment that a principle provides and we would rather have the the language be sort of appropriate to the context of the organization so i think about it in those terms and you know there are other words that i use sometimes to help people get the idea so i'll talk about heuristics um, which you know, are, which I guess is sort of rules of thumb. Um, you can talk about aphorisms, little nuggets of wisdom, um, and you can talk about principles. And I think those are all reasonably good words. But I find that you know, principles is the is the number one way to go. And so if you just like go down into the dictionary and play with the word principle, you get definitions like an accepted or professed rule of action or conduct, um, a fundamental, primary, or general law of truth from which others are derived. So that's like mm-hmm. the first principles, physics thing, um, or a fundamental doctrine or tenet, a distinctive ruling opinion. So like the principles of the Stoics, which I think really aligns with what yes, we're talking about. So absolutely. like, as you kind of trace that down, you see that um, it is, it's doctrine, right? It's tenets, it's things that help us make our way through the world. And although I was not a huge fan of the entirety of Ray Dalio's book, Principles, what I did like was his take that like, these are how we navigate the world. If they're serving us well, we should sort of write them down and remember Mm -hmm. them. If they're not serving us well, we should change them. But like, this is where we this is where we do a little bit of thinking ahead of the decision, right? What you know, when this happens, what will I do? Mm -hmm. Uh, Between two choices, what will I choose? Because it allows us to use other parts of our thinking brain, other than the one that just shows up in the moment and has to react with maybe a heightened level of emotion or fear or, you know, limited time, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? There are a few things in there that to me are really important and separate like the principle from the chaff. Um, one <laughs> is that they do good principles to me do feel 
uh, actionable and action oriented and Mm -hmm. like inspire action. So we'll get into how we use principles, but one of the ways that I use principles in my own work is when I'm making a choice or I'm making a decision or I'm going to try an experiment or I'm going to really do a thing, I can just stop and think, is this bringing me closer to a principle or is it taking me away from a principle in time and space, Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. theory, in philosophy, in truth, in whatever? And um, the other piece of that is just they should have utility. And that's where uh, I get really feisty about values because Mm -hmm. in their neutrality and their sort of apple pinus and their bullshittery, I don't find (laughs) values in companies often have a lot of utility because they're just like – ideas that everybody can sort of get behind, but they don't help us make choices in real life. Is that is that because they're so obvious and generic or is it because they're, they're short? Because one of the other things I think a lot about with principles is like the difference between a very high level principle and a very narrow principle mm-hmm. or, or heuristic or whatever you want to say. So like the difference between saying transparency principle mm-hmm. and measure twice cut once mm-hmm. which is like very down in the weeds about a particular way of behaving um and i'm just curious how you think about that like the ones you find to be generic or, or just unhelpful unactionable is it their brevity or is it their content that's at fault both so <laughs> one is i have the same feeling that you do i actually find corporate values as you usually find them kind mm-hmm. of offensive like the way you see them in the wild for the reason that right. you articulated which is i'm a human and i'm perfectly capable of choosing and articulating my own values and <laughs> the old the old line that i've heard a million times in my career of if you don't share the values of the organization you're not a good fit here um just feels like the most sort of controlling nonsense to me cuz i'm like yeah sure i like believe in integrity but that's like not one of my values that is deeply held to me and so the and it's idea of us trying to complexity of course like we're not a lot we're not lining up like prisoners against you know the values of <laughs> ibm or something it's ridiculous so um part of it is the anthropomorphization did i say that right okay yep of a corporation that can quote unquote have beliefs because it's a collection of beliefs that you know manifest something, but you can't just write it on the wall and then it's true. <laughs> right. So that's part of it. Part of it is that in the brevity that I see in typical values, there's just not a lot that is useful or actionable. And then part right. of it is that to me, values are something that is personally held. Yeah, that makes sense. I think to me at some level, it doesn't have to be controversial, but it has to be counter to the mean and to the average and to what we'll do left to our own devices to mm-hmm. be useful. Yeah. So like, cause if it's just like, if it's something like integrity or what have you, like, yeah, if you're, if you're operating in an environment where that's just vanishingly scarce, then that might be an interesting principle. Right. But if you're operating in an environment where like most people are generally good actors, then it suddenly becomes a lot less utilitarian. Yeah, And so I do feel like like the reason transparency is interesting to me as a principle right now today is that the default in culture is privacy and secrecy mm-hmm. and lockdown, at least in a corporate context, maybe less so on our social media lives and our digital lives. But that's another story entirely. 
Um, and, and frankly, like if I was operating in that space, I think the opposite principle would be super interesting. Like imagine mm-hmm. a Facebook competitor that was like privacy and security at all costs. Like mm-hmm. suddenly, suddenly that would be interesting and novel and useful. So I do think there's something about swimming upstream here. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that creates a good principle. But even to me, something like transparency in its brevity can be confusing. So to me, ideally, a principle tells us what the perfect expressed state of transparency would be. So Mm. I'm looking for a principle when I am designing something in an OS that's like, you know, if we were doing transparency right, what would be true for us? Would we be able to Mm -hmm. find the information we need? Would we be less reliant on leaders for context? Would we be able to pull all but the most sensitive data from any corner of our company? Like, what are we trying to get at with the transparency? Or, and we talked about this in another podcast a long time ago, or is it like, I need to tell you, you know, when I slept and when I took a break and like up load my biometrics like what what do we want out of that transparency because to me it's not just information it's the thing we're trying to create yeah yeah you're trying to create information symmetry yeah um and like that's important right and i also think even just a click down from transparency to something like default to open yes is already better because there's a lot of information in that right like, and i know what to do it doesn't it doesn't mean everything. It doesn't mean there aren't exceptions. It, it, it feels more like a measure twice, cut, one, cut once kind of piece of wisdom. Yes. Like default to open, folks. That's to me, that really splits the difference nicely. Exactly. Um, so yeah. All right. That's really helpful. That's really helpful. So when you're working with a team to create principles, first of all, when, in what situation, what is the trigger that a team should be looking at to be like, we should have a tight set of principles before we dive into designing whatever we're about to design. Like talk a little bit about that and then maybe we can go into what we think makes a good one that we haven't already covered. Yeah. Well, I do think, I think as early as you can without losing interest is a good timing Mm. Um, because obviously these are foundational and they should be directive and they should be helpful. So doing them at the end of a transformation or the end of a grand, you know, collaboration feels late to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but maybe, but maybe like if you're, you know, if you, if your goal is to be descriptive with them, maybe you find them and use them and then codify them. I could get behind that. But I think generally earlier is better. What I have found though, is when I try to prompt people to think about principles too soon, um, we lose some of the momentum of like, I just want to get started working on my stuff and fixing mm-hmm. stuff and, and, you know, managing stuff. And so, so there's a little bit of a game you have to play there. But the types of questions I usually ask are like, what makes, to your point, like, what does good look like? Like, what does it look like when we're doing this well? And what are the common stumbling blocks or impediments or patterns in that, that we can then reduce to some, some wisdom about the way the world works? Because really, this is just about pattern recognition and experience and mastery and wisdom coming to bear on a set of defaults, right? A mm-hmm. set of, of things that you'll do if you don't know better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think that starting with what does good look like? What what are we optimizing for is, is somewhat helpful. Um, I also think it's okay to just start from like the two questions that I really dwelt, dwelled on writing the book, which is what do you believe about human nature and what do you believe about systems or the world at large and how it works? Mm-hmm. And you can have that conversation just like, how do people work? Mm-hmm. How, and then how do they work best? And how do systems work? And how do they work best? And just from those few questions, I think you end up getting a lot of meat on the table 
about like, well, you know, people are generally lazy. So we need a principle of, you know, beyond time. Or, um, or maybe people are not generally lazy, they're actually quite, you know, active and responsible. And so we need a different kind of principle. So I think talking about the nature of things, and then the outcomes or the what good looks like of it all seem to be good places to mind for me early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do? I, I mean, I'm mostly interested in talking about this because I feel like I've mostly screwed it up in most projects mm. that I've been in. I, I just find like a lot of teams and organizations are very inclined to start from tension and start from what's yeah. wrong. And that's understandable, right? Like we are, we are trained um, through our education and through our lived experience of like identify the problem swarm the problem (laughs) and then start to make a solution rather than like from a place of envisioning or outcome orientation. And this is also why doing outcomes work is difficult as we've talked about in other episodes. So I feel like in different projects, I've tried to steer particularly leadership teams or or a leader toward creating a tight set of principles for what they're hoping to steward their OS toward. And what I've gotten is like an articulation of problems. And, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and so to me, we need both, right? Like if we're not clear on what the tensions are we're solving for, we're probably not going to design great experiments to solve them. And there's also a tight set of principles as a litmus test for is this experiment the kind of thing we want? And so like, you know, a really basic example of that is you look at something like compensation, which is a really easy one to pick on. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, maybe we hold attention that says um, people here don't feel like their contribution is valued. And, you know, people who are the revenue generators don't feel like they see enough of that revenue. Let's just like we hear that in sales organizations all the time, right? Sure. So you start from that tension and you're like, great. Now, a non-people positive or non-complexity conscious experiment might take us to like a really ugly mercenary (laughs) place where we're like, well, let's just look closely at the dead weight. Let's throw all those people out. Let's reallocate their money to the tip of the spear and we'll see what happens. Job yeah. done. And and technically, as an experiment that addresses the tension, that's a reasonable experiment. And you and I have right. been in workshops where people came up with experiments unconstrained that we were like, oh, God, that is not I remember what we the, meant. I remember the take money off the table in front of people one. Yeah, like tape, that one? tape the 20s to the table yeah. and like take one yeah. away every hour every that they don't. Every time they make a mistake. Yeah, it, yeah, stuff like that, which you're like, okay, I mean, technically you followed the rules, but that is clearly not what we meant. So, which is where principles come in, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. what, so, so if we don't have a set of principles around what we want our compensation or rewards to do, or what they would do if they were perfect, which might yeah. be something like um, recognize the contributions of everyone in our system, regardless yeah. of where they sit. That would be a great principle. Without that sort of guard railing, uh, we might end up with some shenanigans if it's just, here's the problem, here's a solution. If strategy is the, how are we going to win? Mm. In some way, to me, principles and to a certain extent, purpose are the what is winning. Mm, yeah, right? because yeah, yeah, that's there's smart. a lot of different ways to get outcomes, but maybe you don't care about all those outcomes. So like, sure, we solved the sales recognition problem, but we made the place toxic. Well, that doesn't <laughs> meet all my needs for winning, right? So like we've yeah. won in a, in a way that doesn't work for me. 
So I do think I do think that that um, you know plays a role. And I usually don't I don't do as much of this early groundwork as I probably should in my projects. Like what you're saying about kind of struggling with this, I would echo. Like I would love to be more disciplined as a facilitator around this in the future. And one idea that you've given me talking about this is maybe the place to start is less about, you know, ignoring the tension or even focusing on future principles. But maybe the place to start is describing the principles, assumptions and beliefs of the current practice that's Mm -hmm. causing tension. Mm -hmm. So like, hey, you're really upset about the way things are. What are the principles behind the design of the thing we currently sit with? What does it believe? What does it assume? And why does that not sit well? Or why does that not give us the result we want? And that'll let us sort of start from where we are with principles and maybe re-engineer them or at least stare them in the face. Yeah. And interestingly, when I give the speech that you give, uh, I often talk about how tension in your OS can come from a variety of places. But one of the most common places that I see it come from is the divergence between the principle, which is what you say you want, and the practice, which is what you're actually doing. And so if we have a principle of participatory change and we have a practice of top-down decision-making, we have (laughs) tension. And most of us can articulate that all over the place. So to your point, If we do start from tension, maybe there's work to be done before we articulate a set of principles in what are the principles behind that tension or where is the Mm -hmm. divergence between what we think we believe and what we're actually doing that causes that tension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Because I think when people start to see those connections and they start to play the beliefs, principles, practices game then they can see all the strengths. Like then they start to see things that they weren't seeing before. Because I find that one of the hardest things to teach, and this is true in every aspect of my professional career, the hardest things to teach is how to look at a possible way of working and in, in, in short order, evaluate whether it sort of aligns with the future of work and the values and and principles and ideas that we espouse. That's interesting. And like, it's, it's really easy for people to like, read a new thing about OKRs or about a new way of having a one-on-one or about a new meeting type or about safe or whatever the hell it is and be like, this is it. Right. right. And, and for me to be like, ah, mm. I don't know if that's it because like, let's go back a layer and say like, well, what is it about that that you're responding to? Right. Yes. Because what I find is really popular is people think that newness is people positivity and newness is complexity consciousness as opposed to, rightness, like being Mm -hmm. aligned with principle. And so sometimes just the idea of like, I read about a new practice feels like we're doing it better. But the new practice, the reason I resonated, or the reason it resonated with me was because it actually has a little control baked into it inside it, right? And so what I'm excited about is that, but I get to wear it under the banner of future of work, because it's new. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. I mean, we see so many examples of that and it's like, the reason this resonates with you is because it calms your limbic system, not because it's the right right. thing to do. Exactly. And in fact, if we think about a lot of the practices that we do (laughs) coach and teach, they're like from like ancient Greece, you know, like a lot of like they, you know, and a lot of things that come from places like beyond budgeting, like are just like, sort of like pre-industrialization ideas around Mm -hmm. fluidity and mimicking biological systems and like democratic choosing of things and all of these things. It's like, interestingly, a lot of the things that I think in this moment of our 
evolution in our systems, the things that feel logical to us are actually wrong because they've been they, kicking around. Yeah. Cause they're like, they are control mechanisms and bureaucracy, but like they come in, you know, with a new t-shirt on that looks fancy. And a lot of the things that we actually believe are, are rooted in much more traditional and older, like ancient practice. Well, back to wisdom and the human right. condition. I mean, for sure. The thing that you said that really sparked something for me when you said it calms the limbic system is I would argue, and this is just my own personal experience, not speaking for anyone else, but like usually doing the right thing from a ways of working perspective makes me a little nervous more, feeling yes. like a little more activated totally. in my limbic system. <laughs> and that's how I know that I'm on the right track is like, and we often tell people like design an experiment where you're just a little uncomfortable with yeah. how this might go and you're probably on the right track because if you're yeah. sitting there thinking like this is great this is exactly what's needed probably not yeah and a really good check on that i think is if it makes total rational sense to you and there's no sort of like emotional charge there Resistance, you're yeah. probably not on the right track <laughs> Right. Because by definition, our, our whole identities and our ways of being have been influenced by this post-industrial, post-capitalist, you know, OS. And so if it sits really well with you, either it is really progressive and you are like the most incredibly progressive person on earth, or it's it's tickling a funny bone that you developed in school when you had to get a bathroom pass and you just haven't let that go fully yet. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, when when we talk in and, you know, people who haven't read the book or read an article or, you know, been around so much, Aaron uh, uses the analogy, which you got from where, where did you get Stoplight Roundabout? Came from somewhere. I think I first I think I saw Bjart do that before anyone else, but I, I, I can't really remember exactly where I first found it. So it's a it's a really good analogy for, you know, command and control versus trust and autonomy, the idea of the intersection. The point I'm making without going into that whole example is one of the things I do when I'm talking about that with teams is like, how do you feel in a roundabout? <laughs> and they're like, right. I feel like I'm going to barf. And I'm like, yes, that <laughs> yes. is how new ways of working feel. Because when you have a level of agency and you're doing something that is a bit disruptive and you're doing something where you're taking on the risk, you should mm -hmm. feel a bit activated. A bit not at ease. Yeah. And, you know, this. At least at first. But I was going to say, funnily, at least at first, kind of, but like, how many fucking action meetings have I facilitated in my life mm -hmm. or installed? Mm -hmm. I don't know, a thousand more than that, maybe. And I still, the first few times with the team, I'll still have a moment where I go like, does this work? Like, I'll still <laughs> go into a retro being like, maybe this is the time that retrospectives don't work. You know what I mean? Right, because it right. always feels like you're agitating something. Yeah. It always feels yeah. a little bit wrong. So, um, so when you're designing principles, that are going to encourage the kind of behavior and experiment that feels a little bit wrong, those right, principles have got to feel a little bit like challenging or controversial yeah. or like, you know, sexy. Edgy. Like, I, I yeah. want that, but like, oh, seems a little scary. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, uh, so let's talk about how a team could actually write some of these down. Okay. So I think the easiest thing to do is to 
decide based on the conversations that we talked about a moment ago around what does good look like around what are the kind of inherent beliefs in the current way and and how that might not be serving us pick a few things that feel like they're the right goalposts for guiding a round of experimentation um you know, drafting is always drafting, but the way I often like to do it is the way we've we've done even overstatements in the past where everybody takes a couple whacks at it and mm-hmm. you put them all up on the wall and you see like what works for everybody, like what turns into language that we can all identify with. So yeah, maybe there is a transparency-ish thing floating around the room. Now, if you and me and Allie and, you know, Catherine and five other people write it down in two different forms and then we look at them all, we're going to find something that's like pretty close to the way. Right. We also then by debating and discussing the different options are going to tease out our own shared consciousness. So like, you know, oh, I don't think it should be that word because that word means something different to people where I'm from. Okay, interesting. So like stuff like that comes up and then you end up with something that you're like, all right, we all agree that we know what this means Mm -hmm. and we know, you know, how we're going to sit with it. And I think, you know, principles should be like all, you know, aphorisms and heuristics and words of wisdom, like a sentence or less. And then if you need to tuck a paragraph under it to explain all the ways that it manifests, go for it. But I also mm-hmm. think you could wait around before you do that to see what emerges and what kinds of clarifications are needed. Yes. And then go play the experiment game for a while with those in place as filters, as ways of evaluating, as ways of objecting, as ways of improving the content of the experiment. And then, you know, kind of see where you're at. And in a way, that set of principles, that that writing down of those ideas becomes your first agreement. Mm-hmm. You know, it's agreement number one, which is like, hey, we agree that we think these are some good ways to steer. And we're going to try them and see and then we'll tweak them. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's everyone who does principles well refers to that as the most important part, which is like, notice the results you're getting, tweak accordingly. Right, right. I would add to that a couple of things. One is, um, I learned this prompt from you, and I use it very religiously, which is, <laughs> As we ask people to generate those first ideas that we can then sort of group and work from, um, I do really like the prompt of if X were perfect, it would dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. And one of the the ways in which I've screwed this up in the past is to try to do principles work at too high of an altitude across too broad of a system. I think Mm. where principles are the easiest actually to create. And I just was pulling open a couple of old decks that I think have some (laughs) bangers in them is where we're trying, like where we want to launch a set of experiments around compensation or like we're really trying to reimagine our structure and we want to find first structure experiments. And it's it's by canvas area. Yeah, it's by canvas area. And when you get people into that, then they can make dope principles. When you're like, what do we want our system to be? People are like, oh, less shitty. Uh, (laughs) But when you're like, what do we want our compensation system to do? Right. Then we get to some really juicy stuff. And um, I like to go through the same process you just described. The one thing I would add to it is I try to keep people to five or fewer because Mm -hmm. ultimately you just – you, you can't be designing for or experimenting based on 10 things. And poor, poor Ray Dalio with his 147. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, talk to people at Bridgewater and talk about how that's working out. It's just, it's hard to know because inevitably then you have things that are in conflict or that yeah, are very yeah, yeah. difficult to decipher. Or and just hard two, to remember in the moment. 
or hard to remember whether you're violating principle 129. Um, and then the other thing is I like to do a round of prioritization of principles mm-hmm. because if we're going to make a choice about an experiment or a thing we're going to do or a project we're going to launch or a thing we're going to try, I like us to be real tight on which of these principles do we believe this is taking us toward or teaching mm-hmm. us about? And does it come at a cost of any of the other ones? Yeah, sure. Because they can be intention. And sometimes they that's can, nice. Yeah, they can be intention. Sometimes that's nice. But w- what I see, and I see this in strategy work too, that is lazy and that is not helpful is when we're like, well, we want all of them. And mm-hmm. so we'll just keep um, making our experiment more generic, more vague, less interesting until it actually until it meets all the umbrellas over needs. all of these constraints. And yeah. then you've like lost it. You like lost the magic. So keep them tight. Keep the list short. Have the spirited debate about why number one is more important than number three and why an experiment that's really dialed into number two at the expense of number four is worth doing. There's a lot of richness that comes out of those discussions. I love the point about focusing on the canvas areas, although you could easily use, you know, roll your own areas, listeners. Um, But like imagine going, all right, feedback and mastery and human development. What do we believe? Like what are, you know, what are the... What are the principles that we hold about how that happens and how that happens best? Mm-hmm. Um, like that's such a great prompt. And I do believe that there, what you find if you do that work, even though you end up mining more in total, um, you know, three over here, three over there, what I think you find are the patterns that lead up to the Uber principles. So like maybe there are different versions of the transparency idea mm-hmm. in resources and structure and decision-making and meetings and whatever. But they, because they're fit to purpose in those local contexts, they get expressed slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's cool because that gives you the nuance right. of like how, how to do transparency in these different windows. And then over time, you could potentially kind of keep those but group them together and say, hey, these all serve a single master idea, which is like we generally just believe that, you know, things should be known. And yes. so we don't, you know, we're not going to just put that on the coffee mug and burn the rest of these, but at least we can see the pattern and recognize the importance of the pattern, um, you know, over time. And, I, and that's what I find when I look at like my favorite structure principles or my favorite resource allocation principles or whatever, like they have, they have cousins all over the canvas. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that that reminds me of is that principles are so useful for coherence, even over alignment. And what I mean by that is I see in organizations where there's, and and this is, you know, sort of what prompted this discussion is where there's debate or there's conflict over a certain methodology or a certain way of doing things. And there's a higher order in the principle that can create coherence, which says, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. if we have a principle that we as a organization or a function or a leadership team or whomever have aligned around, which is, um, you know, be the place where our employees can do the best work of their life. That's a great principle. Then if two leaders have very different ideas about how they move their organizations toward that kind of environment, that probably is okay. And we might be able to get out of the alignment game of there's only one right way of doing these things if we can all express how our way takes us toward the principle and is right for our context. What I find more common than anything is 
two different methods or practices headbutting or or coming into conflict or coming into favor. And the debate we're having sounds like it's about those things, but it's actually about principles. Yes. So it's like, oh, totally. I think we should do a Kanban board on the wall. Well, I think we should do a Kanban board in Trello. Well, they're both Kanban boards and they're both great, but we have these two different opinions. So let's fight about which one's better when what we're really fighting about is actually maybe a principle around remote work or a mm-hmm. principle around like, you know, where people are physically. And that's actually the fight and it has nothing to do with Kanban. And so, mm-hmm. and it has nothing to do really with which method. So I do like the idea of like, what's underneath this? And mm-hmm. what does that tell us about the nature of our of our misalignment, if there is one? And to your point, if what's underneath is shared, then we're coherent. And at a minimum, we can agree to just like do it our different ways. And mm-hmm. at a maximum, maybe we do it our different ways for a while and figure out which one works better and then scale that. And, you know, there's and there's everything in between. So exactly. yeah, I, exactly. I love that. So before we wrap it up, I thought it would be fun for us to uh, just throw out some of our greatest hits because I find this is (laughs) one of those things that when teams first uh, are introduced to principles, um, they don't always know how to craft them in ways that are great. And I find that in a lot of workshop settings, I'll like throw out examples and people are like, yeah, that one, I want, can I just use yours? Um, Because it's just, it's like learning a new language. So um, what are some of your sort of (laughs) go-to? Tell me about the highlight reel. Yeah. So my like super principles that I draw down from are usually to do with autonomy and transparency and decentralization and consent. And just to focus for a second on one, like within transparency, one that I mentioned already, default to open, another one that we've talked about before, work in public. Mm -hmm. Those to me are both really good principles where it's like, does this tool allow us to work in public? Mm -hmm. Does this approach allow us to default to open? Like are our defaults set to open? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even even like if you're working in in a Microsoft Word environment, that's not, you know, that doesn't have the right settings on. Um, and, and I don't even know if those settings exist. Like your default closed right. Out, right out of the gate. So, right. so you're not playing that game. So I think, you know, those are examples of that. And then with something like um, decentralization versus centralization, one of my favorites is uh, default to whichever one gives us greater speed and ability to serve our user. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're sitting here being like, oh, we should all have decentralization all the time. Well, what about our data lake? What about our email service provider? Like there's there's a point at which it's like, oh my God, we're all in different, you know, tools and we can't even talk or Mayhem. read each other's stuff. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. So the question is like, does it make us faster? Does it make us more user centric? Then let's do that, whatever mm-hmm. that is, whether it's centralized or decentralized. So that's another example where like, I probably wouldn't put all the lawyers in one room structurally. Why? Because that principle says, will that make us faster and more user centric? No, No. we're gonna have to wait on those lawyers backlog to get our stuff processed, right? And so let's not do that. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, that's those are a few right off the top of my head, although I wish I had prepared more for what (laughs) such a great question. Um, Yeah, I uh, have seen those in the wild. Um, The couple that I think are helpful in a lot of the teams that I work with is where we're trying to understand how we want to organize. And that can be from a structural perspective and a workflow perspective. And really, you know, we could talk about this in pretty much any field of the canvas, but (laughs) the idea of um, organizing the people around the work, not organizing the work around the structure Mm -hmm. is one that Mm -hmm. comes up a lot. 
Um, yeah, not organized around the people because we always go, oh, well, Phil's a big leader, so he should have two groups under him instead of one. And it's right. like, ooh. Or even not personality-based, even just based on the existing structure, which is right, like, right, well, right. security always lives in this area, <laughs> so all the security people – it's like your example of the lawyers. Like, well, we yeah, have yeah. a bullpen of lawyers, so lawyers go in the bullpen. It's like, well, let's talk about what the work of the lawyers <laughs> is and where and that where work that lives, and then let's put the lawyers where the work is. Um, and then, um, you know, we often see one around – empowerment or authority or agency or something like that, that is something like push as much down and to the edges as you can stand. Yeah. And Where that the information like, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Push it to the context. Um, you know, there, there are some shorthands like that, uh, in most of the places that I work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's usually one that ends up emerging and I don't have a good prescription for this, but I usually see one emerge that's around adaptivity. So mm-hmm. I've had ones that are like, um, you know, we want our team to shape shift as markets and members change. That's right. a nice one. Um, the, so I just throw these out for people who have listened to this entire episode and are like, I actually have no idea what, yeah, you're what talking the hell are you about. talking about? So, uh, you know, hopefully you made it this far and that was helpful. <laughs> Well, and it's funny because we do we do talk in principles all the time on the show. We just don't always call out that's what we're doing, right? Yeah. So, like the very popular safe to try that we picked up from you know holocratic and sociocratic practice, like that's a really interesting principle. It's basically mm-hmm. saying instead of focusing on perfect, instead of focusing on just right, instead of focusing on one and done forever, is it safe to try so that we can push and learn a little bit and then we'll tweak it further as we go? You know, even the idea of iteration and working in sprints is dri- derived from principle. Mm-hmm. So, totally. yeah, you you already know this stuff, listeners. You just have to, like, go put the word principle above it. Yes. And write it down. <laughs> and write it down and live it. Exactly. Which seems like a pretty good place to shut it down. So, uh, Rodney, virtual high five to you. High fives. Smack. If you are liking what you're hearing, uh, we'd love it if we got a review. We just got another review. I really liked reading it. Um, Yeah, please do that. Um, It helps us. It helps others find us. It helps us uh, explain to our families and friends what we do for a living because we read them the reviews and then we tell them about the future of work and then they continue to ignore us and tell people that we work in HR. But that's okay. That's just my thing. That's not your thing. Anyway, please leave us a review. Fantastic. On the future episode, I'll tell you what my mom thinks we do for a living. Um, A quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for always making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And if you want to talk about maybe doing a little bit of this work together, you can email hello at theready.com. And as for you, thanks so much for listening. Now go change something.